Acts chapter 15, and we're going to begin reading from verse 36. Verse 36, it says, And some days after Paul said unto Barnabas, Let's go again and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they do. And Barnabas determined to take with them John, whose surname was Mark. But Paul thought not good to take him with them, who departed from them from Pamphylia and went not with them to the work. And the contention was so sharp between them that they departed asunder one from the other. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed on Cyprus. And Paul chose Silas and departed, being recommended by the brethren under the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, confirming the churches. Then came he to Derbe and, to, and Lystra. And behold, a certain disciple was there named Timotheus, the son of a certain woman, which was a Jewess and believed, but his father was a Greek which is well reported of by the brethren that were at Lystra and Iconium. Him would Paul have to go forth with him and took and circumcised him because of the Jews which were in those quarters, for they knew all that his father was a Greek. And as they went through the cities, they delivered them uh, the decrees for the keep that were ordained of the apostles and elders which were at Jerusalem. And so, and so were the churches established in the faith and increased in number daily. Let's open with a word of prayer. Dear Lord and Holy Father, we do indeed thank you for another time that we can come and gather around your word and consider the wonderful truths contained therein. Lord, we pray that this evening as we continue our study in the book of Acts, consider looking at the, uh, the, the early church there, Lord, and the, the missionary endeavors of Paul and his companions, we pray that you bless our time. Uh, Lord, give me wisdom and guidance as I speak, that you empower me through the Spirit it be your words and your thoughts, and that, Lord, you would refresh us through your word this evening, it challenge us, and, Lord, that may we leave this evening and know that we've been in your presence. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, of course, last time we were in the book of Acts, we were looking at Acts chapter 15, and we were looking at the council at Jerusalem. And we looked at the, the decision that they made concerning the law. Okay, that was the whole reason it was convened, to discuss uh, the place of the law for the believer. Uh, if you remember, the Jews were trying to constrain the Gentiles to be circumcised as part of their salvation. But there at the council in Jerusalem, the leaders had wondrously uh, agreed that the law had no place in our salvation. We are saved by grace through faith without the need for the law. And that was the decision, the, the wonderful decision that they made. And the church of Jerusalem then wrote a letter informing uh, the church at Antioch of this decision and in that letter they asked the the church there at antioch you know that although they didn't need to keep the law to be saved they asked them to be mindful of their jewish brethren okay and we talked about that last time the fact that they were, they were asked to be mindful that they conduct themselves in a way that wouldn't offend the jews that were amongst them and this letter was carried to antioch by barnabas and paul along with two other men judas and silas and verse 32 to 35 tells us that they continued there ministering for a period of time let's just read that to get the context here verse 32 it says and judas and silas being prophets also themselves exhorted the brethren with many words and confirmed them and after they had tarried there a space they were let go in peace from the brethren under the apostles notwithstanding it pleased silas to abide there still paul also and barnabas continued in antioch teaching and preaching the word of the lord with many others also so these four men tarried there in Antioch, 
Um, Judas actually leaves and goes back to Jerusalem. The other three are still there and they're preaching and they're teaching in the, the church there at Antioch, establishing these brethren in the faith. As we come to verse 36, we see that Paul now is itching to begin another missionary journey. Verse 36, it says, And some days after, Paul said unto Barnabas, Let us go again and visit our brethren in every city where we've preached the word of the Lord and see how they do. You know, Paul wasn't content to stay in Antioch because that's not what God had called him to do. And so he's itching to get back on the road and to go and visit these churches that they established and see how they're going and encourage them in the faith. And the events that now unfold at the end of chapter 15 and the start of chapter 16, and these events now we see that there's a changing of the guard, if you like. There's a change in the missionary team that Paul heads up. In spite of the seeming obstacles and the personal difficulties that arise here, God still blesses this second missionary journey. And so this evening I want us to begin to look at this missionary journey and, and to do so we're going to look at the makeup of Paul's missionary team this evening. Paul's missionary team, I should say his new missionary team. And so first of all we see that he has a new partner in the ministry, a new partner. Verse 36 again it says, And some days after Paul said unto Barnabas, Let us go again and visit our brethren in every city, where he preached the word of the Lord and see how they do. Barnabas determined to take with them John, whose surname was Mark. But Paul thought not good to take him with them, who departed from them, uh, from Pamphylia, and went not with them to the work. You know, when Paul suggests to Barnabas, you know, he says, let's go and visit the churches that we established. You know, Barnabas is ready and willing to go. Barnabas agrees he wants to go as well. You know, wants to and join him on the missionary journey. He thinks it's a great idea to go and visit these churches. And so they both agreed on the importance of the trip. But what they couldn't agree on was who they should take with them, who should make up the, the missionary team for this journey. As we just read there in verse 37 and 38, uh, there's a disagreement that arises. You know, Barnabas, he wants to take with them Mark. But Paul is adamant that Mark shouldn't go with them because Mark is not reliable. And so here we have these two godly men, you know, these two godly friends, who've been through so much together already and they're at loggerheads with each other over who they should take with them on this missionary journey. You know, these are the same two men who've just helped to bring unity to the church. You know, chapter, chapter 15 was all about that, wasn't it? They went down and they went to Jerusalem and they were part of the ones advocating for the Gentiles and for the fact that Gentiles shouldn't be circumcised, shouldn't be compelled to do these things. And so they had a big part in the, the, decree, the, the decision that was made there at Jerusalem. They had a big part in bringing unity between the Jews and the Gentiles. But here, they can't settle a little dispute amongst themselves. They could settle the dispute amongst the church, but here they couldn't settle it amongst themselves. Now, I think before we go any further, you know, what this shows to us is that Paul and Barnabas are human like the rest of us, aren't they? They're just men. They're just men. They're not super Christians. They're not somehow perfect, are they? They're just like the rest of us. They had problems. They had disputes just like we do. And just like the rest of us. You know, disagreements and disputes, they do happen. But God is able to overrule them and God is able to accomplish his purposes 
through them, which is exactly what happens here in this situation. And so let's consider the dispute here. We see that Mark, sorry, Barnabas here, he wants to take Mark. I'm sure we know this passage well, and so I'm not going to shed anything new this evening. We're sort of just going to go over this transitional passage. You know, Barnabas, he wants to take Mark with them on this journey, and, you know, Mark had been a, mission, a member, sorry, of the first missionary team, hadn't he? If we go back to Acts chapter 13 and verse 5, we're told that John Mark had accompanied them on that first trip. Acts 13, verse 5 it says, And when they were at Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had also John to their minister. So on that first journey, John Mark was with them. He accompanied them, and he went with them as they, as they went to preach the gospel. You know, by the time we get to verse 13 of the same chapter, Mark is turned around and he's going home. Verse 13 of Acts 13, it says, Now when Paul and his company loosed from Paphos, they came to Perga in Pamphylia, and John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. So he didn't last very long. You know, the, whole, the rest of chapter 13 and then all, cha- all of chapter 14 is all about the missionary journey. And so he didn't get very far on the journey before he turned back before he went home. And this is the reason for the disagreement here. This is the reason for the disagreement. Barnabas, he wants to give Mark a second chance. Paul doesn't want to give him another chance. Now, it shouldn't surprise us that Barnabas is the one who's standing up for Mark here. It shouldn't surprise us that he's the one who wants to give him a second chance. There's a couple of reasons it shouldn't surprise us. The first one is he's actually related to Mark. Barnabas is related to him. If you go to Colossians chapter 4 and verse 10, we learn this, Colossians 4. <clears throat> Colossians 4 verse 10, it says, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, saluteth you, and Marcus, sister's son, to Barnabas, touching whom you receive commandments. If he come to, unto you, receive him. And so Mark, Mark was actually a cousin of Barnabas. He's Barnabas's cousin. And so there's family ties here. So that initially, you know, that's a reason for Barnabas to stand up for him, isn't it? Okay, there's a family tie here. He wants to stand up for his cousin here and give him a second chance. You know, even more than that, it shouldn't surprise us because this is the character of Barnabas, isn't it? This is the man Barnabas. All the way through the book of Acts already, we've seen Barnabas pop up on numerous occasions. And every time we see Barnabas, what do we see him doing? Encouraging others encouraging others this was his nature this is why the church gave him the nickname son of consolation or son of encouragement go back to Acts chapter 4 with me in verse 36 Acts chapter 4 in verse 36 it says in Joseph who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas which is being interpreted the son of consolation a Levite and of the country of Cyprus so he's given this surname Barnabas, this nickname, which means son of consolation, son of encouragement. And he lived up to that title. That's why they gave him the name. This is what he was known for. He was constantly seeking to help others, seeking to encourage others. You know, Paul had even experienced this firsthand, hadn't he? Now, when Paul got saved, he went down to Jerusalem and he tried to join himself to the apostles But they were all wary of him. They were all standing off. They didn't want anything to do with him. And so who is it that comes along and helps Paul to get entry into the apostles? It's Barnabas. 
Just go to Acts chapter 9. Let's just read it and refresh our minds. Acts chapter 9. Acts 9 verse 26 says, And when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed to join himself to the disciples. But they were all afraid of him, and believed not that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him, and brought him to the apostles, and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way, and how he had spoken to him, and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. Barnabas sticks up for him, doesn't he? Barnabas is the one who brings him before the apostles and he stands up for him. He testifies of Paul and his conversion. And so Paul has experienced Barnabas' nature firsthand. This was the character of the man. And we see it again here with Mark, don't we? Straight away, he wants to help Mark. He wants to give Mark another chance. You know, he's looking at the missionary journey and he's saying this could help Mark. This could strengthen Mark. This could help him to get things right and to become an effective servant for the Lord. And so Barnabas is ready to give him another chance. You know, Paul, on the other hand, Paul is very adamant that they shouldn't take Mark with them. Let's just read verse 38 again of Acts 15. It says, And Paul thought not good to take him with them. We departed from them, from Pamphylia, and went not with them to the work. As far as Paul was concerned, Mark had forsaken them. Mark had turned back. He'd been unreliable. And so how could he rely upon him this time? As far as Paul was concerned, he'd had his chance, if you like. He saw Mark now as a liability and he didn't want to take the risk. You know, to him, the work was too important. It was too demanding. It was too demanding to take someone, to enlist someone who might again prove to be unreliable. You see, Paul's focus is slightly different, isn't it? Okay? Barnabas is looking at the work and saying, this can aid Mark. Barnabas, um, Paul is looking at the work and saying, we don't need him, he might hinder the work. Okay? He's focused on the work, and on the work is, is central to his thinking here. And, you know, so these, this is the discussion here. This is the, the disputes that's taking place. You know, as this discussion continues, it develops into a heated Arguments. Verse 39, it says, And the contention was so sharp between them that they departed asunder one from the other. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed under Cyprus. We're told the contention was so sharp between them. The idea is that this is a heated discussion. It's a heated argument. Neither of them is budging on their position. They're adamant that they're right and they're not going to move. These two friends here couldn't come to an agreement. Both were convinced they were right. And so neither was going to budge, neither was going to give in. And so in the end, what do they have to do? They separate. They go their separate ways. They agree to disagree, if you like. And Barnabas now takes Mark and he leaves and he travels to Cyprus, while Paul takes Silas and heads for Syria and Cilicia. Let's just read uh, the end of verse 39 there, it says, And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed under Cyprus, and Paul chose Silas and departed, being recommended by the brethren under the grace of God, and he went through Syria and Cilicia, confirming the churches. And so they agree to disagree. And they part and they go their separate ways. They go different directions. Okay, Barnabas goes across to Cyprus, and Paul and Silas, they head north. They go different directions. They part. You know, the question could now be asked here, who was in the right? And you know, it is a 
a question that people have debated and spent a lot of time nutting out and trying to figure out who's in the right, who's in the wrong. But the reality is it doesn't really matter, does it? That's not the point here of this passage. It's not about us picking a side. Are we going to stand with Barnabas or stand with Paul? You know, perhaps they were both right on some things and both were wrong on some things. You know, we know that Mark ended up being a success in the ministry. Even Paul says that he, you know, he is beneficial to him. Let's just turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4, just quickly. 2 Timothy 4 and verse 11. <clears throat> Paul says this, he says, Only Luke is with me, take Mark and bring him with thee, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. So even Paul eventually changes his tune about Mark, and he says Mark is profitable to the ministry. And so we could say that Barnabas was right in giving him a second chance because Mark ended up being a success in the ministry. But you know, equally, when we look at the ministry of the Apostle Paul, the ministry that he has from this point onwards, you know, we could say that Mark probably wasn't the man he needed to go with him on this journey. You know, Paul is about to end up in prison, isn't he? And he probably didn't need Mark. Mark probably wasn't the right man to go with Paul in his direction. But as I said, who is right and who is wrong here doesn't really matter, does it? What matters is that at the end of it all, God was glorified. That through this division, God got the glory. You know, Silas became a very effective partner for Paul in the ministry. There's a reason why Paul chooses Silas. That's because of the qualities that he's already seen in his life. Just read of Acts chapter 15 there, verse 32. Oh, sorry, verse 22. It says, Then pleased the apostles and elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, surnamed Barsabbas, and Silas, chief men among the brethren. And then verse 32 as well. It says, And Judas and Silas, being prophets also themselves, exhorted the brethren with many words and confirmed them. So verse 22 tells us that he was a chief man in the church of Jerusalem. Verse 32 tells us that he's a prophet. And so he's got the gift of teaching, doesn't he? He's empowered by the Spirit in the ministry of teaching and revealing of the Word of God. And so this makes him an ideal candidate to serve with Paul, doesn't he? There's a reason why Paul chooses Silas, because he's been exhibiting these gifts. And so Paul chooses him. He makes an ideal companion in the ministry. You know, we know from the rest of the book of Acts that Silas accompanies Paul for many years to come. He goes through many hard trials along the way. He becomes a very effective servant, a very effective partner in the ministry. And so God, God was glorified through both ministries. See, the point is that good and godly men do, from time to time, disagree. That's the point, isn't it? Good and godly men do, from time to time, disagree. You know, if God had to rely upon perfect people to accomplish his work, nothing would ever get done. Because none of us are perfect. We all make mistakes, don't we? We all cause offense. You know, God can use our limitations, God can use our imperfections to accomplish his will, and that's exactly what he did here. God used this disagreement between two godly men to his glory. And the reason God could use it to his glory is because from this point onwards, what do Paul and Barnabas do? They both get to the work and concentrate on the work and serve God faithfully. We don't read of Paul at any point 
rubbishing Barnabas, do we? Don't read at any point of Paul writing about how Barnabas is in the wrong and having to go at Barnabas and his ministry. And nor do we read of Barnabas having to go at Paul. So the point is they agreed to disagree. They went their separate ways and they served the Lord. They concentrated on the work. And so God was glorified. In the end, God ended up with two missionary teams, didn't he? Instead of one, he had two missionary teams going separate directions. And from this point on, we hear nothing more about Barnabas and his work. But the focus now is on Paul and his ministry only. And so we see that Paul now has a new partner. He has Silas. And secondly, now we see he has a new helper. He has a new helper. In chapter 16 and verse 1, it says, Then came he to Derby and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timotheus, the son of a certain woman, which was a Jewess, and believed, but his father was a Greek, which is well reported of by the brethren, which were at Lystra and Iconium. As chapter 16 now begins, we find Paul and Barnabas have begun their journey. And they're traveling in a reverse uh, order, if you like, to Paul's first missionary journey. Okay, Paul went across to Cyprus and then he went up and around and then came back. They're actually going north and they're going in the opposite direction here. And so they're going first of all to Derby and then they come to Lystra, it says in verse 1. You know, Lystra was a city that Paul would have remembered well, but not for good reasons. You see, it was at Lystra in chapter 14 that Paul had been dragged out of the city and stoned and left for dead. Just turn back to chapter 14 with me, chapter 14, verse 19. <clears throat> It says, And there came thither certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium who persuaded the people and having stoned Paul, drew him out of the city, supposing he had been dead. When Paul and Barnabas first arrived in the city of Lystra, if you remember, they met an impotent man and they'd healed that man. And the people then had seen this and immediately they thought Paul and Barnabas were their gods walking amongst them. So they wanted to worship Paul and Barnabas. They, they were running to make sacrifice unto Paul and Barnabas. So Paul and Barnabas were running amongst them, rending their clothes and crying out for them to stop. And then they'd preached unto them the truth, that God alone should be worshipped, that God is the true God. And after delivering that message, these ones come, the Jews from Antioch and Iconium come and stir up the people to stone him. And so Paul is dragged out and stoned and left for dead. And we see the fickle there of the people, don't we? One minute they're you know, praising him as a god, the next they're dragging him out and stoning him to death. And so Paul would have remembered Lystra well. You know, he would have had the scars, wouldn't he? The scars to remind him every day of what had happened, what had taken place. And in chapter 14, as we read that account, we're not really told of Paul having much success. Don't really read of many believers, or many people getting saved and believing in response to the message. But evidently, some had believed because as he comes back to Lystra now, he finds a group of believers who are growing in the Lord. And he comes across in particular this young man, Timothy or Timotheus. Let's read verse 1 again. It says, Then came he to Derby and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timotheus son of a certain woman, which was a Jewess, and believed, but his father was a Greek. So in particular, he finds this young man, Timothy. It seems fairly certain that Timothy 
had gotten saved during Paul's first visit to Lystra. And we say that because Paul later on refers to him over and over again as being his son in the faith. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 2 in particular, he says, My own son in the faith, which indicates to us that he got saved under Paul's ministry. And so if he's now growing in the Lord, by the time Paul comes back, that would indicate it was his first visit to Lystra that he got saved. And so since that time, that first visit, Timothy now has been growing in the Lord. He's grown and matured in the faith. Verse 2, it tells us that he's well reported of by the brethren. It says in verse 2, which was well reported of by the brethren, which were at Lystra and Iconium. Now, as Paul comes to Lystra, they only have good things to say about Timothy. Now, they're, <coughs> excuse me. You know, they're praising him. They're saying Timothy is a godly young man. Timothy is someone who's growing, someone who's, who wants to serve the Lord. They're pumping him up, if you like, in front of the Apostle Paul. Everyone had good things to say about Timothy to Paul. You know, later on in 1 Timothy chapter 3, Paul would list as one of the qualifications to be a minister of the gospel this idea of being well reported of. Just turn over there with me. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 7. First Timothy 3 and verse 7, it says, Moreover, this is the, the list there about a, a bishop. If you go back to verse 1, it says, This is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good thing. And then it goes on, a bishop then must be blameless. Okay, in verse 7, it says, Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. So Paul later on writes and says that this is a qualification. If you're going to be you know, put into the ministry, one of the qualifications is to have a good report before men. And Timothy met that requirement, didn't he? Back in Acts chapter 16 here, this is one of the reasons why Paul enlists Timothy, because he had a good report before the brethren. And so Paul enlists Timothy, if you like, to be his new assistant, a bit like Mark had been on the first journey. Okay, Mark had been the assistant to Barnabas and Paul, Timothy now is enlisted to be assistant to Paul and Silas on this journey. And after choosing Timothy to join them on the, on the, on the missionary journey, Paul now has Timothy circumcised. Go back to Acts chapter 16, verse 3. <clears throat> it says, he would Paul, uh, sorry, him would Paul have to go forth with him and took and circumcised him because of the Jews which were in those quarters they all, so for, for they knew all that his father was a Greek. <clears throat> so Paul here, um, first thing he does after he enlists Timothy, the first thing he does is he gets Timothy circumcised. You know, this doesn't uh, seem to fit with what we've just been looking at in Acts chapter 15, does it? At first glance, this seems to be a very strange thing for Paul to do, that he would compel Timothy to get circumcised in light of the fact that in chapter 15 he's been to Jerusalem defending the fact that you don't need to be circumcised to be saved or to have any part. So why then does he compel Timothy to be circumcised? Why does he require this of him? Surely there's no need for this. You know, in Galatians chapter 2, Paul refuses to allow Titus to be circumcised. Just turn over there. Galatians chapter 2. 
Galatians chapter 2 and verse 1. It says, Then fourteen years after I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and took Titus with me also. And I went up by revelation and communicated unto them that gospel which I preached, uh, preached among the Gentiles, but privately to them which were of reputation, lest by any means I should run or had run in vain. But neither Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. And that because of the false brethren unawares brought in, who came in privily to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage, to whom we gave place by subjection, no, not for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. Now in Galatians chapter 2, Paul had refused flat out to circumcise Titus. He said, we're not doing it. And, you know, the reason was because he didn't want to promote the cause of the false teachers, did he? He didn't want to promote their cause. He didn't want, to think, want them to think that he was promoting their idea of work salvation. And so he refused flat out for Titus to be circumcised. But here, in Acts chapter 16, Paul is the one encouraging Timothy to be circumcised. So what's the answer here? Well, the answer is that Paul's concern with Timothy was not his salvation, but rather with his fitness for service. That was the whole point here. You see, Paul knew that Timothy was going to be working with both Jews and Gentiles. As they traveled around and visited the churches and visited new locations, it was essential that he not cause offense to either Jews or Gentiles. And so this is the reason that Paul has Timothy circumcised. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, we see the principle behind this. Just turn over there, 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 19. We read this, it says, For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all, that I might gain the more. And unto the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might gain the Jews, to them that are under the law as under the law. Uh, that I might gain them that are under the law. To them that are without law, as without law, being be not without law to God, but under the law to Christ, that I might gain them that are without law. To the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. And this I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be partaker thereof with you. Here's the principle that Paul is following here with Timothy. This idea of becoming a Jew under the Jews. It's this idea of making sure that he doesn't cause offense as he's ministering to the Jewish people. And so he's not circumcising Timothy here to ensure or add anything to his salvation. Rather, he's circumcising Timothy so that Timothy can be effective in the ministry. See, the point to remember here is that Timothy is a half-Jew. That's what verse 1 tells us, okay, that his mother was a Jewess. His father was a Greek. He's a half-Jew. And so Titus to the Gentiles was classed as a Gentile. But to the Jews, he was regarded as a Jew by birth because of his mother. Sorry, Timothy was regarded as a Jew because of his birth. Now his mother was a Jew. His father was a Greek. And so as I said, in the eyes of the Jew, he's a Jew. But he's uncircumcised. You know, perhaps his father had refused to allow this to happen, you know, because he's a Greek. Perhaps his father had said, no, you're not circumcising my son and refused this to take place when he was younger. Whatever the reason is, until he is circumcised, his work with the Jews was going to be hindered. Because they would have looked at him as being a Jew who is violating Jewish law and Jewish custom. 
They would have looked down at him. They actually would have seen him as being an illegitimate child. And basically, any time Timothy spoke, they would have ignored him. They wouldn't have wanted anything to do with Timothy. They would have said, we're not listening to you because you're not obeying the customs of the Jews. You're a Jew refusing to obey. They would have rejected him. And so Paul saw his circumcision as being necessary to give him good standing in the eyes of the Jews. Indeed, in the years that follow, Timothy becomes a very effective part of the ministry, doesn't he? Very effective. He plays an important part in the expansion and strengthening of the churches. In six of Paul's epistles, Timothy is mentioned in the superscription. In 2 Corinthians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 and 2 Thessalonians, and Philemon, Timothy is mentioned being with Paul. Timothy also travelled with Paul right throughout this second missionary journey. And later he becomes the pastor of the church at Ephesus. Timothy becomes a very effective part of the ministry, a very faithful companion for Paul and a faithful servant of the Lord. So having added Timothy now to the team, these three men depart and they travel through the cities preaching to the churches um, the decision that the church at Jerusalem had made. Let's just go to verse 4 of Acts 16. It says, And as they went through the cities, they delivered them the decrees for to keep that were ordained of the apostles and elders which were at Jerusalem. So they now begin to travel back through the cities. And at each city when they go to the church, what they do is they give them a copy of the letter that the church at Jerusalem had sent forth. You see, what they're doing is they're trying to stop this false teaching, aren't they? They're determined to stop the spread of the false teaching regarding our salvation. And Luke then concludes this section with verse 5. He says, And so were the churches established in the faith and increased in number daily. Basically, he concludes it with a progress report. He says that the churches are established in the faith and they're growing daily. Now, Paul and his companions were effective in their ministry, weren't they? This follow-up visit was just what the churches needed. And God's hand of blessing was clearly upon Paul, Silas, and Timothy in this work. See, the point is, Paul's missionary team had changed. Instead of Barnabas and Mark, he now had Silas and Timothy. But God's hand of blessing was still upon him, wasn't it? God's hand of blessing was still upon him in the work. As we said earlier, Barnabas and Paul, they were not super Christians. They were human. They were men, just like us. And they had a disagreement. But you know, rather than let that disagreement destroy the work of the Lord, they agreed to disagree. They went their separate ways and God blessed them in the work. Neither attacked the other. And so God used this to further his work. And beloved, there will be times when we disagree with one another in the ministry. That's going to happen because we are men and women, aren't we? We're human. We're going to make uh, offend others. We're going to have disagreements. And, you know, sometimes it may mean that like Paul and Barnabas, we have to agree to disagree. But the important thing to remember is that then we must continue to faithfully serve God and not get stuck attacking the other. That's when sin comes, isn't it? If we continue to attack the other and rubbish the other who doesn't agree with us, then we're in sin. You know, we may disagree with each other. Fine, pray for them. Let's continue to serve the Lord. You know, disagreements and disputes do happen, but God is able to overrule them 
and accomplish his purposes if our hearts are right before Almighty God. Let's close in a word of prayer. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. And Lord, we thank you for this transitional passage here this evening as Paul sets out in the second missionary journey. And Lord, his, his team completely changed with Silas and Timothy joining him in the work, these two faithful men. But Lord, your hand of blessing was upon him just as it had been upon him with Barnabas and Mark on the first journey. Lord, even though there was this disagreement, Lord, you used that disagreement to further your, your work. Lord, we just pray you help us to likewise react in the same manner as Barnabas and Paul. Lord, if we have disagreements, to react by praying for each other, Lord, not uh, trying to drag the other down. Agree to disagree, and Lord, seek to serve you faithfully in the, the area of ministry that you put us in. Lord, may uh, you bless tonight as we close. May you help us remember the truths of your word in Jesus' name. Close the scene. Let's turn to 325. More like the master. We'll sing the first and last as we close the scene. 325. Thank you.